Blog Talk Radio. My name is David Fournier, one of the instructors here at Restoring Grace, and whether you're listening live or archive, thank you so much for being part of the program. Today I want to talk to you about the God's desire, one of God's desires, known through the scriptures, known through commentary, known through many resources about him, is that everyone, all people, will come to repentance. Again, God's desire, according to the scriptures, is that all people will come to repentance and no one will perish. Repentance, I think, is one of the most misunderstood gifts that God has. Repentance to us tends to carry a very negative uh, idea, a very negative feeling. Like, I've done something wrong, and now this God of the universe, what he wants me to do is he wants me to crawl on my hands and knees, and he wants me to uh, grovel in front of him, and then at some point the groveling will equal uh, what he thought I did wrong, and then we're going. Well, if that's what you really think about repentance, if that's what you really think about it, then you have a complete misunderstanding about what God is all about. Now, I believe that one of the reasons for the harsh and critical spirit that we experience in Christianity today, this again, what I believe, that one of the reasons for this harsh and critical spirit of Christianity is the misunderstood practice of repentance. Repentance needs to be something that we do on a regular basis, just like we attend services, like we tithe, like we uh, sing. Uh, like we gather to listen to sermons, it needs to be part of our regular experience. Because I believe if we really understood, if we really understood the importance of the practice of repentance, we'd spend less time worrying about the lives of other people and more time focused on our own. Let me say that again. If we really understood the importance and practice of repentance, we would spend less time worrying about the lives of other people. And I'll talk, if we get to it, towards the end, I'll talk about why I think we focus so much about it. We're going to be reading from the Zohar, volume 10, portion of Mishpatim, chapter 3. We'll start in verse number 228, page 383, for those of you that are following along. We have learned that nothing in this world withstands repentance, and that the Holy One, blessed be He, surely accepts everyone. If one repents, the way of life is prepared for him. Even though he may have made any blemish, everything is mended and corrected. From here we conclude that repentance breaks many sentences and verdicts and many iron chains, and nothing withstands repentance. Think about that last line in that verse, nothing withstands repentance. You know, it's interesting to note that in a lot of the name it and claim it teaching that goes on today, people talk about the power to break through this and the power to break through that, and it always winds up with you contributing some kind of seed gift to them in order to get there. But the scriptures don't talk about that. There's going to be sorrow in life. There's going to be pain in life. There's going to be suffering in life. There's going to be those things. We can't change those verdicts. Those things are going to happen. But the actual continued pain, think, think about what, the, what he's talking about there when he, when he talks about the, the, uh, the chains being broken, the verdicts being changed. You know, right now there's a, a really, as you listen to this later as an archive, there's a really uh, popular trial, uh, a young lady named Jody Arias who's been accused of murdering uh, her ex-boyfriend, and right now the jury is deliberating 
uh, deliberating and deciding what they're going to do. The evidence has been presented to them. And so when you think about it, they're going to render a verdict is what's going to come out. And this verdict, once it comes out, now, again, they can appeal and they can do the song and dance. But this verdict is going to be this is it. We sentence you to life or death or you're innocent, whatever it may be. It's a verdict. Repentance breaks those verdicts that are set. I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to read verses 8 through 10. By the way, one of my favorite portions of scriptures is verse number 10. For though I, though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. But now I rejoice that you were made to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Now listen, verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow that the sorrow of the world produces death. See, sorrow in this life is kind of the guarantee. It's something that we're all going to experience. It's something that we're all going to feel, something we're all going to go through. But there's a sorrow, according to the scriptures, that leads us to this repentance, and repentance leads us to no regrets. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Is there any event in your life, is there any time in your life, is there any person in your life that you look back on and you regret? Wouldn't it be nice to know now that part of your life is over, that part of that relationship, you know, you've moved on, you've taken your corrective action, you've done what you need to do, but still the stinging part of that event is still there. I'm not suggesting that we don't learn from our mistakes, we don't learn from the tragedies that happen to us, but what I am suggesting is that we use repentance, simply talking with God and saying, I don't want to be in that spot anymore, I don't want our relationship to be in that spot anymore, and it breaks those things. Repentance will break sentences, verdicts, and iron chains. By the way, doesn't it sound a little familiar with some of the New Testament documents? What was the point of Jesus going on the cross? The Apostle Paul talked about blotting out the handwritten ordinances or verdicts that were against us. See, a path to a new life, and that seems to be what a lot of people are writing books about these days, what a lot of people are talking about these days is this new life. But the path to a new life is recognizing what's wrong with your old life. I mean, if you don't feel like there's anything wrong or you don't see anything's wrong, it's really hard to find the path to a new life. But then we have to actively desire it. And we have to actively desire it to the point that we make a change. A lot of people talk about making changes in their life. Uh, they'll say things like, you know, I didn't see myself at this point of my life. I didn't see myself at at this point of uh, 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 being here. I thought I'd be here. No, you didn't. You didn't make any decisions that would have taken you there. How did you think you would get there? It's like if you think you're going to get a bus and take it down um, Academy Boulevard and wind up at a shopping mall, you're probably going to have to go out of your house to a bus stop and get on that bus. When your desire to change finally rules your actions that lead you to change, true change will take place. Let's read verse number 229 now. 229. In relation to what is written, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of men that rebel against me. This is um, Isaiah 66, uh, 24. It does not say that rebelled against me, but rebel against me, namely those who do not want to repent and regret what they have done. But if they regret it and repent, the Holy One, blessed be He, accepts them. This is a powerful verse about life and destruction. Now, probably some of you are thinking, well, I haven't exactly inspired an army to go fight God recently. But I want you to notice that this particular verse is couched in active present tense. It's talking about they are they're currently rebelling against Him. Not rebelled, but currently rebelling against Him. You see, with as long as there's life, as long as there's life, there's hope. 
as long as you're alive, there's an opportunity to do whatever you want to do, to say what you think needs to be said, to live the way you think you need to live. Because with repentance and regret, there's always acceptance by God. Look at that last line. Listen to it. But if they regret and repent, the Holy One must be he accepts. But wait a minute. They're, they're, they're doing evil. They're putting blemishes. They're, they're sinning. They're doing all these things. They're living a lifestyle. Again, the Bible comes back. The, the, the Zohar is telling us, if you regret, if you repent, there's acceptance. There's always acceptance. Now, Understanding that repentance is not a one-time decision to avoid hell, and I'm going to do better. You know, I, I, I believe in Jesus now, so I'm not going to do those things anymore, and I'm not going to go to hell, and I'm going to do better. Regret and repentance is a daily practice. It's an ascent, a climb, if you please, into a different life, life, kind of life, by doing what? By pursuing a different path, by following a different path, by heading uh, a different direction. And the different direction is understanding that God is a God of acceptance. We are talking way too much about a God who hates people, who hates what they do, who hates what they live for, who hates Democrats, who hates liberals, who hates this, who hates that, whatever you want to put in there. When yet the scriptures teach us that God is a loving God, a compassionate God, who gives us opportunity after opportunity to find him, to seek him out, to make things right. There is nothing that tells us this kind of mindset is correct. That there, you've gone too far. You're doing something that I can't. But let's read verse number two thirty. Therefore, such a man, thinking of the ones we talked about in verse two twenty nine. Therefore, such a man, even though he rebelled against the whole against God, and blemished where he must not have blemished, but repented before Him, he accepts Him and has pity on Him. For the Holy One, blessed be He, is full of compassion and is. Full of, it's filled with compassion for all his works, as is written, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Psalms 145.9. His mercy reaches even to the beasts and the fowls. So if his mercy reaches to them, all the more to people who recognize and know how to praise their master. When his mercy reaches them and he dwells among them. Regarding this, David said, Greater your compassions, Hashem, for your life is given. You, you, for life, you give me life as you desire. I'll be right back after this brief commercial break. Looking for something different at your next retreat, Bible study, or weekend seminar? Restoring Grace could be the answer for you. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and we gladly support, encourage, and minister in many churches across the country. You can reach me at dave at restoringgrace.com. Again, that's dave at restoringgrace.com. Or you can call 719-233-6265. For your next upcoming event. Welcome back. So, the man who rebelled, the verse two thirty says, who left an imprint, imprint or a blemish. I love this. He left an imprint of wrongdoing. I want to expand on this for just a moment. There are so many things we do in our life that we think will never go away, that will never be forgiven, that can never be uh, changed. There are decisions that we make that have a degree of permanence to them. There are some things that we can do that you can't just flip around and reverse. But that doesn't mean it's the end of a relationship with God. It doesn't mean that it's the end of a possibility of being accepted by God. Because according to scriptures, according to what we're reading this morning, repentance and regret can reconnect us back to God. We're accepted. Accepted upon repenting. Why? Why? 
is a good question here. Well, reason number one is it tells us that God is a compassionate ruler. The psalmist David tells us he cares about everything he created. He cares about the doves. He cares about the water. He cares about the air. He cares about the land. And, you know, it's interesting that we have that conversation because you read all through psalms about God caring about the earth and caring about his creation, and yet we're leading carbon destruction and monoxide poisoning and shortages of food and, and destroying the water sources. It doesn't seem like a very Christian activity, but that's for a conversation for another day. All the more, David the psalmist says, does God care about creation? Do you know, by the way, he says in the end, how to recognize and praise God? That's interesting that repentance and regret would be tied into worship. Because what a greater way to show your love for God, what a greater way to show your respect or your care for God, than to actually say, hey, listen, I want the relationship between us to be right. You know, sometimes when you blow up to somebody, when you have a problem, when you have an argument, you've got to go back and make it right. You know why you have that desire to go back and make it right? Because you want that relationship between you and that person to be right. If you don't care about the person, then you're not going to do it. You're going to say, ah, let them be mad. Let them be mad till the day they die. It'll be good for them. We'll give them something to talk about. But if you care about them, you're going to want to go back and put that relationship back. And how do you do it? By somebody's going to come up and say, hey, I was wrong. Let me read verse number 231. If his mercy reaches the wicked, the righteous all the more. But who needs healing? Those who suffer pain. And who's suffering pain? The wicked. Those are the ones who need healing and mercy. For the Holy One, blessed be, he takes pity on them so they will not be forsaken by him. And he does not go away from them so they will return to repentance before him. When the Holy One, blessed be, he beckons. He does so with the right. And when he repels, he does so with the left. And when he repels with the right, when he repels, the right beckons. He repels the one side and beckons the other. The Holy One, blessed be, he does not withdraw his mercy from them. Now here's the conversation we're saying, look, people righteous or people that follow, the righteous people who are following God, you need, you need to stop worrying about the fact that God wants things to work out between him and the ones that are not doing the right things. Who needs repentance? Wicked need forgiving. Healing is for people who are suffering. Mercy is for the unloved and for the unwanted. What did Jesus say? Jesus, comparing himself to being a physician, said this. He said it is not the well, it's not the, the well people who need a physician, it's the sick. God does not forsake his creation, even though his followers do. God does not go away from them. He calls them out from the right. Remember, we talked about the balance. Kabbalah teaches about the balance. The center column being our connected column between us and God. The right side being the giving, the left side being the receiving. He calls out with the right, the giving. He rejects with the left, receiving. God remains God through all his contact with us, and he does not withdraw his offer of mercy. But it's interesting to note, as carriers of the message of God, is that the message is that the message that people are hearing us say right now? Hey, listen, don't worry about how you live. Don't worry about where you are. Don't worry about what's going on in your life right now. Let me just tell you this. You need to sit down and have a conversation with God. God wants to talk. Well, I've done this and that. Look, at God can get past all that. God loves you for who you are. Well, I'm doing that. Understood. Yeah, it's not the best thing you can be doing. I get that. But still, God, looks, like God loves you so much. He looks beyond that to the person that you are and the person that you can be. Verse number 232. Come and see. But he went perversely in the way of his heart, followed by, I've seen his ways and I will heal him. I will lead him also and bestow comforts upon him and his mourners. Again, Isaiah. He explains, but when he went perversely, means that the wicked do what they willfully do and follow the way of their heart. And others admonish them, but they do not care to listen to them. Nevertheless, when they repent and take the good path of repentance, a remedy awaits them. 
We may not believe or see a way out of our challenges or our problems, but God sees our ways. That's what he says in, in Isaiah, and he's ready to help us lead us out. And there's two things that are waiting for us on the other side. You say, okay, so let's say I decide to do something. Let's say I want to make things right between God and I. I want to have that conversation, have somebody lead me through this path. What, what's the deal? What, what benefit? Why would I do? What, what's on the other side? Number one is God. God is there waiting to lead us through. And number two is there's a remedy that will bring healing. Many of the things that we suffer mentally, emotionally, even connected sometimes physically, are things that we don't need to be living with, but in the stubbornness of our own heart, not believing. Let me see it like this. Believing more what we hear from Christians around us and less what we could, if you read in the Bible ourselves, we believe God would not be willing to accept us or take us on. In the final verses, verse number 234, the Holy One, blessed be he, sees his ways, that he walks in evil and, no, and, and to no use. And he says, I need to hold his hand. As it is written, I have seen his ways walking in the darkness. I wish to give him healing. Again, as it is written, and I will heal him. The Holy One, blessed be he, brings into his heart the path of repentance and the healing for his soul. I will lead him. What does that mean? It resembles the words of go and lead the people in Shemot 32, 34, Exodus. And the Holy One, blessed be he, leads him to the true path as one holding someone's hand, leading him out of darkness. Boy, this is a far cry. A far cry from the kind of God we hear talked about so often in our churches, from our pulpits, in our messages today. God doesn't hate. God wants to lead. God sees a way for us here on this earth. His desire is to heal us. What is your desire for the people around you? How you answer this question, by the way, is very telling of your spiritual walk and your spiritual maturity. The heart, you remember reading that now? The heart is a path of repentance to healing. What is God's desire? God's desire is that all comes for repentance. God's desire is that he leads people out of darkness. And you and I are the people that will be the ones that will be carrying that message and that mission into this world. My name is David Fournier, the instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you so much for joining me, the live archive, and I'll see you next week for Zohar in 15.